I invite you to stand as we come for the reading of God's holy and perfect word as we turn to our scripture lesson today. This comes to us from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 19. And as I, I spoke with the children, as we continue our time with Jehoshaphat, we turn to verse 4. as We um, uh, close out the 19th chapter, uh, verses 4 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jehoshaphat dwelt to Jerusalem. And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel. When they had returned to Jerusalem, and he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah the chief priest is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebediah the son of Ishmael the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites will be officials before you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with you with the good. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us this word on this day, we pray to the power of your Holy Spirit that you will use these words and apply them unto our hearts we might show forth our great and loving obedience unto you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In many ways, this passage is just a repetition of what we heard way back at the beginning of chapter 17. You'll remember that when Jehoshaphat came to be king over Judah, that one of the first things he did was send judges and Levites out to the cities of the kingdom. And the purpose of the sending out of the judges and the Levites was to bring things into order. Whenever uh, you are starting a new nation, well, what do you need? Well, you need a judicial system, right? You need a way to uh, deal with crime. Because one of the things that we testify is that there has never been a nation under heaven full of saints. Every nation under heaven is full of sinners. Whether they be uh, sinners in York County or sinners in Timbuktu. There's sinners everywhere. And so there's going to be the breaking of laws. There's going to be the breaking of commandments. 
There's going to be breaking of ordinances and you need a way to deal with the offenders. Now again, Josephat's already done this once. So why here at the end of the 19th chapter does he have to do it again? It seems kind of redundant. You know, hasn't, once you do something, why would you need to do it again? You know, imagine, if you will, if we just decided all of a sudden to scrap the entire Constitution and try something else. Imagine how, how confusing that would be. Imagine how disorienting and destructive and disruptive that would be. If we had to figure out a whole new system of government, a whole new way of taking care of things. Well, again, Josephat's not reinventing the wheel. He's not trying a new system out. He's putting back in place that system which he had put in place back in chapter 17. And of course, this system is one that he had received from his fathers. That his fathers had received from King David. And David had received from Moses. God had ordered his nation a certain way. But again, why did Jehoshaphat have to do this again? Well, again, as I shared with the children, what happened in the previous chapter? In the previous chapter, Jehoshaphat had gone to the north and had sinned grievously with Ahab. He had gone to the north and committed a gross iniquity before the Lord. And what did that do, do you think, to the reputation of Jehoshaphat? What do you think that did to his credibility to the nation of Judah? When we, we think about that, you know, when, when, when somebody is in charge and they sin in a particular way, well, are you likely to listen to that person? Because no, their, their authority has been, has been destroyed by their sin. It's one of the reasons why, you know, if, if I would engage in some kind of immorality, if I would engage in some kind of wickedness, what would happen? Would you listen to me? Yeah, well, would you heed my counsel? Would you uh, obey my commandments? Well, no, what would you say? You know, you're a hypocrite, right? You, you have no ability to speak to me because you tell me one thing and do another. Well, and then you would also fire me, right? You would use the means of the Presbyterian system to call a congregational meeting meet with the presbytery, and send me down 161, right? And you would be right in doing so, right? Because once a minister especially sins greatly before the Lord, right, their ministry is tainted. You know, it, it is, it, it's destroyed, right? Because they can't gain that credibility back. Again, as much as we would like that to happen, that's just not reality. And again, I believe you would be right in doing so. Now, Jehoshaphat, again, he is going back and reestablishing things. And this is because he's lost credibility with the people of Judah. Right? You know, going back to chapter 17, it says that, you know, he had sent all of these men out into the land and he had removed the high places, he had removed the groves, all of the false idols of idolatry that his father Asa had placed there. Now, 
We don't read anything here of him having to do that. Of removing the high places and removing the false idols and doing all these things. So again, why does he have to go back? Because again, he has to reestablish who he is. And he has to show the nation that he's learned from his sin with Ahab. And it's interesting some of the differences we see in these seven verses before what we saw in the earlier time of him establishing the civil kingdom. We see two particular details given to us. First of all, it says there in verse 9, And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. But he also says there at the end of verse 11, Behave courageously and the Lord will be with the good. We see three details here that Jehoshaphat gives to the Levites and to the judges and to the land of Israel, or the land of Judah. He tells them that they are to act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart, and to behave courageously. Now think about these particular details, these particular attitudes that the people are to have. Well again, what is the foundation of their courage? What's the foundation of their loyalty? What's the the foundation of their fear and the love of the Lord? Go back to verse 6. Notice what he says there uh, to the judges. He says, take heed to what you're doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. You see, one of the mistakes that Jehoshaphat had made in his previous work is that he had made himself the standard of authority. He made himself the standard for righteousness, the standard for judgment, uh, the standard uh, for life. But here, he makes sure to focus them upon the actual authority in the land. The one who actually had the power to judge. And that was the Lord our God. He is the one who had given these commands. He is the one who had given uh, these uh, ordinances and these laws. And the people, especially the judges, needed to understand that when they rendered judgment, they were not doing it in the name of Jehoshaphat or in the name of themselves, but they were doing it in the name of the Lord. And again, you see why this is important. Because, as we've seen with Jehoshaphat, he is a man with clay feet. And we'll see later on in Jehoshaphat's story that he will fall again. He will sin again before the Lord. And the testimony here that Jehoshaphat's giving them is saying, Look, don't look at me. Right? I'm not the standard for morality. I'm not the standard for these things. The Lord God is. So when I sin before the Lord, do not put that on the law itself. For the law doesn't come from me. Right? The law comes from the hand of the Lord our God. And this is something you often hear in conversations with people who grew up in the church and then fall away. It's fascinating to me how often their testimony will be, well, my pastor did X, Y, or Z. And now I don't want anything to do with the church. You know, my pastor sinned against me in some particular way. And now uh, I have no need uh, for that organization, right? That body of believers. Because they've hurt me in some way. Again, part of the background there is 
that many times the church doesn't do a good job of explaining what their faith should be in. And what the foundation of grace and mercy is. It's not in the church. Right? It's not in the elders. It's not in the deacons. It's most certainly not in me. But the foundation of our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation of our faith is in the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. And that God is God and that we are not. And when we start acting like God, we sow destruction and we sow trial. But again, the, the warning that Jehoshaphat, uh, that, that the Ryler Second Chronicles has for us through Jehoshaphat, is what do we see in Israel when the king gets too big for his bridges? We see God's judgment come down upon the land. And God's judgment comes down upon the land, again, because the king has made himself the authority of the land. And Jehoshaphat, again, is trying in his weakness, you know, in, his, in his sinfulness, in his uh, way of trying to teach Judah that they are, again, to fear the Lord their God. And that they are to do so in all that they do. That's one of the reasons why we see in this 19th chapter uh, what is said in verse 7. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Again, notice the foundation of, why, of how they are to rule. Again, the judges are to rule in the fear of the Lord because think about what they have to be afraid of. If they are standing in the name of the Lord, in the authority of God, and they transgress His law, well, who are they accountable to? Right? Who are they going to have to give an account to in the day of judgment? Well, they're going to have to give an account to the Lord. And again, this isn't just an Old Testament idea. Sometimes uh, we, we've kind of either been taught or we've been led to believe that there, there's some big divide between the Old and New Testaments. You know, that, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but I wish they'd quit printing Bibles with blank pages between Malachi and Matthew. Right? Because... It's not as if there's a Bible part two, right? There's a continuation from Malachi to Matthew as much as there's a continuation from Joshua to Judges. And again, when we think about the day of judgment upon those in authority in the Lord, well, Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews that those who are in authority in the church will have to give an account to the Lord on the day of judgment for how they rule. And ministers will have to give an account for every word that they have spoken. Now again, if that doesn't strike the fear of the Lord into your heart as an officer in the church, I'm not sure what will. Because again, when you're standing in the face of Jesus and you have to give an account for yourself, what standard do you want to be judged by? Do you want to be judged by some standard that man made up? Do you want to be judged by some standard that you thought was wise at the time? Or do you want to be judged by the standard of the word of the Lord our God? And again, this is what Jehoshaphat is telling the judges. Say, look, this is very simple. 
You have a law book to go with, right? You have a book that tells you right from wrong. You have a book that tells you what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Don't complicate it for yourself by either making new laws or by trying to get away from what the laws say. And that's really what's meant here uh, by uh, the saying that there should be no partiality nor taking of bribes. It's interesting, you go back and you read the judicial laws in the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and in the book of Exodus, there's great concern that the judges of the land not show partiality. And what they're really concerned about is that the judges don't treat rich people better than they treat poor people. That the status of the human being shouldn't matter when it comes to the Word of God. It shouldn't matter how much they give to the church. It shouldn't matter how much they do, how much X, Y, or Z happens. Right? There should be no partiality in the judgment of the judges whom God has placed on this earth to watch over things. They shouldn't. Uh, One of the examples we see in the New Testament of this in the book of James is when a rich person came into the church, what did everybody do? In the book of James, it tells us everybody stood up, right? The rich person came in in all their finery and they went up and shook their hand and wanted to make sure that they knew who they were. Right? And, and they moved and gave them the best seat in the house. But what did they do, according to James, when the poor person came in? They kind of hid their face. They kind of shied away from them. They kind of treated them as a second-class citizen. Because think about what was going through their minds. Well, what can this person do for the church? Obviously, they can't give a lot, right? You know, let's say this person is lame. Well, they can't be. You know, they can't go clean leaves up, right? They can't change the light bulbs in the sanctuary. What can this person do for us? So very little care is taken in in welcoming them into the body. This is the kind of partiality that Jehoshaphat is warning against in 2 Chronicles 19. He's warning the judges against treating individuals differently based on who they are. The only standard of judgment that they are to have is the Word of the living God. And as soon as they turn away from that, what happens? All kinds of trouble and tribulation happen. What happens to a group of people after... They've been treated poorly over generations. Well, they start to get kind of mad about it. And they start getting mad about it because they get tired of being treated differently uh, on a double standard than what everyone else gets judged by. Again, that's why there's safety in obedience to the commandments of the Lord. Because then... The judges can say, uh, rightly and righteously, we have judged in accordance with what God has revealed to us in His Word. We haven't changed what we believe from generation to generation. That's one of the things that causes confusion in society is when the church is all over the place when it comes to what is right and what is good. That's why there's so much confusion Not only in the church, but in our culture, because they're hearing different things from every area that they can think of. Whether it be something as 
obvious as you know, you know, sexual issues, or uh, something as something we don't often think about, you know, economic issues. You know, the world's getting a different story from all over the place, and why is that? It's because the church has largely abandoned the Bible as the standard for what is right and wrong. Right? It substituted the wisdom of man and the wisdom of the age and the wisdom uh, that has accumulated rather than the impartial and perfect Word of the living God. Again, this is what Jehoshaphat is warning the judges and warning uh, the uh, Levites about. Now, we see something else here. Again, take heed to what you're doing you do not judge man, but for the Lord. Now, you know, one of the most popular verses that you'll hear often you know, leveled against Christians is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Right? And of course, we, we, we all know that one, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. Well, again, it's worthwhile to remember that the Bible wasn't written with those chapter and verse divisions. Right? It's not a book of kind of random statements. Right? They're all put together by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And if you actually read on in chapter 7, and if you've been reading in chapter 6, what is Jesus saying there? That we're not to judge according to the wisdom of man, according to the wisdom of the Pharisees, according to the wisdom of the age, but we are to judge in accordance with the word of the living God. Again, remember what else Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says that by what standard... Uh, you judge, you will be judged. Well, again, it goes right back here to Second Chronicles 19. By what standard should the Jews be uh, judged in a righteous land? Again, by the commandments and the ordinances and by the laws that God has revealed to them, both at Sinai and through the prophets. Again, when we think of our duty, our responsibility as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ... What is our standard of judgment? Is it the way we've always done things? Is our standard of judgment the way we think things should be? No, again, we have been given the blessings of knowing what it is we should judge by. By the revelation that God has given to us. Now, in the New Testament, again, this hasn't changed in a lot of ways. We don't have a new Ten Commandments in, in the New Testament. We're not given kind of new laws to follow. Again, where does Jesus point the disciples in John 16 as to what is their duty? It is to love the commandments. And you go back to Matthew 22. What is Jesus' words to the Pharisees? What is the standard by which they are to know right from wrong? In those two summaries of the law. Right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your whole, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, these aren't new ideas. Jesus just quoting from the book of Deuteronomy and from the book of Leviticus. And both of those statements are summaries of the first table and the second table of the law. Of the Ten Commandments. And we need to be watchful and careful as we go about judging what is right and what is wrong. That our standard is the standard by which Jesus has given to us in His Word. Again, that is the only safety that we have. That's the only peace that we have. Because again, if you you don't know what the standard is, then all judgment is going to look unfair. 
Right? All judgment's going to look like it's it's apportioned based on things that are outside of the church and things that are outside of who we are as forgiven sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is this is one of the problems again with men. Right? Is we often think ourselves wiser than God. Right? We often think ourselves to know better than God. Again, what do we see in the scriptures when men start to think that? Right? Think of Nadab and Abihu, for instance, in Leviticus chapter ten. Right? They went to offer strange fires of the Lord. And again, it's worthwhile to remember what their intent was. Right? Their intent was not to worship Satan. Right? Nadab and Abihu didn't go to light that censer in order that Beelzebub would be glorified. They went to light that censer to worship Jehovah. But of course, what happens to Nadab and Abihu? They are struck down by the Lord, right? Fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. And we see as Aaron has to pull his own sons out of the tabernacle outside the camp. And what was the reason for all of this? Because Nadab and Abihu had not offered a sacrifice that the Lord had commanded. Again, this isn't rocket science. But we try to make it be rocket science. And part of the reason we try to make it be rocket science is because we're sinners. Because we want things to be a certain way rather than the way that God has commanded it to be. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, as we think about what Jehoshaphat has to teach us today, the lessons are pretty clear. We have sinned before the Lord. Individually, as a church, as a nation, as a denomination, as a group of people. And part of our repentance before the Lord is shown to us by Jehoshaphat. First of all, it's a recognition that we've sinned. You can't repent unless you're aware that you've sinned. And again, that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what has happened with Jehoshaphat in this story, right? As the armies of Syria are bearing down against him, what do we see him do? We see him call out to the Lord. And why does he call out to the Lord? Because the Holy Spirit has opened his eyes to see, whoops, I've made a big mistake. And he calls out to the Lord, and the Lord does what? He drives the enemies away, right? He brings him out of darkness, brings him out of danger, brings him out of the judgment that is coming down upon him for his sin. And then, of course, we heard last week, at the beginning of chapter 19, as Jehu, sent by the Lord, comes to encourage Jehoshaphat. Right? We don't see the Lord kind of leave Jehoshaphat out to wallow in his sin. We see Jehoshaphat brought into the body of Christ. We see him brought back into the body of Christ, not by words of shame, not by words of condemnation, but again by the words of the prophet who who tells him, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Nevertheless, good things are found in you, that you have removed one image from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. Again, in in calling Him back into the body, we see Him again brought into the Lord. Again, what we see at the beginning of our passage, verse 4, it says, Jehoshaphat dwelt in Jerusalem. Again, this word that's used here, dwelling, it doesn't mean that he just kind of sat around and dwelt in Jerusalem. He didn't just kind of hanging out at the palace. 
waiting for inspiration from heaven. Now this word dwelling we see used in the Old Testament to describe those who have gone away and gone to be in the presence of the Lord. This word is used similarly in the New Testament when Jesus will go to dwell by Himself. And what was Jesus' purpose in that? What's the same as we see in Jehoshaphat? It's to spend time with the Lord, right? To be comforted by the Lord, to be strengthened by the Lord. And we see Jehoshaphat, after he spends his time dwelling in Jerusalem, he responds again to God's grace with this movement towards repentance in the nation. Turning things back to the way they should be. And again, this is what we see as the calling of all who have been uh, removed from death, removed from darkness, removed from their sin, is that they turn unto the Lord and seek His face, dwell with Him, find strength in Him, and then order their lives in accordance with what God has revealed in His Word. We see in the New Testament examples, especially think of Simon the Magician, right? He wanted all the benefits of salvation, but he didn't want any of the requirements, right? He wanted that get out of hell free card, right? He wanted to get away from the consequences of sin, but he did not want to put his life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when it became apparent that he couldn't have his cake and eat it too, You know, he decided to just junk Jesus. And then when Peter calls him out on it, he says, why don't you pray for me about that? Right? Why don't you go ask Jesus for me? Of course, that's one of the saddest things we read in the whole Bible. Here's this man who had had a taste of the glory of Jesus, who had a taste of the gospel, and threw it all away for the world's porridge. Threw it all away uh, so that he could have his sin. And dwell in it. And as we close this morning, this, this passage we have before us in St. Chronicles 19, we have Jehoshaphat again being called out by the Lord in his sin, uh, being redeemed by the Lord, brought back into the kingdom. And we see again the fruit of his faith. Jesus talks often about the, the benefits of being grafted into the new vine. And what happens to that, 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 that grafting that comes into the new vine? Well, what does it produce? Right? It produces fruit. And what happens to that vine if it doesn't produce fruit? Again, we, we have enough farmers and sons of farmers in here to know what you do with a tree that's not producing fruit. Right? What did Jesus do with that fig tree that He sees as He's going into the temple? Right? He curses it and what happens? He comes back and it's dead. Why? Because it was not producing figs. Again, this, this, isn't, this isn't difficult. But again, we make it difficult because we don't want to believe that the gospel is as simple as it is. Yeah, we want to believe that we have a hand in our salvation. We want to believe that we can order our lives however we'd like and that Jesus can just kind of deal with it. Jesus, well, He has to love us. He has to show grace to us. But again, remember why it is that these judges are doing what they're doing. Because they are in the fear of the Lord. Again, that fear is not the fear of the unknown. It's not the fear of being afraid. right? It's the fear of submission. It's the fear of humility. It's the fear of knowing that God is God and that we're not. 
And knowing that God has us in His hands, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and He's called us again to live in accordance with His Word. Not because He's a taskmaster, not because He's mean, but because He loves us. And He knows what's best for us. And He knows that His ways are greater than the world's ways. So brothers and sisters, as we go from this place today and as we seek to live in the light of God's Word, let us remember again that our God is a blessed and gracious and awesome God. Our God has sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And this same God who has given to us this glorious grace, given to us this new life, has given us His Word. We might pattern our lives in accordance with it. We might know the peace and the comfort that comes from obedience. And we might see again His wisdom in these things. And we might love Him in every way. Love Him in, His, in strength and in peace and in comfort. For He is our God, and we are His people. Amen. Let us pray.